What up? And welcome into the Sons of Saturday Irish Podcast. I'm Tyler Wojak with my co-host Luke Smith alongside. I'm pretty fired up about this one today, not gonna lie. Nareem just beat the living hell out of Pitt on Saturday, 45-3, to just as Luke and I predicted. So credit to us <laughs> for absolutely nailing that. That was great. Um, and even though the Irish fell one spot in the rankings to number four, Luke, I think it's fair to say that Saturday was the first time they played up to their top five ranking this season. Absolutely. Um, first time all season they legitimately look like a top five team. Got to run the score up on that just foul human being, Pat Narduzzi. And I think a lot of it's due to the fact that I had my best viewing experience of the season, just watching an apartment with a couple of friends as opposed to some crazy bar. So I'm pretty happy. It was about as uh, satisfying and relaxing as a win as they come. Yeah, I hear you. So today off that, we're going to do things a little bit different. Um, we got the chance to interview Matt Fortuna. So we're going to recap the pit game with him and look ahead to Clemson a little bit. Matt's a national college football writer for The Athletic and co-host of the Shamrock podcast with friend of the program Pete Sampson. And he previously covered Notre Dame and the ACC for ESPN. So it was great to have him on and hear his insight. And then coming out of that, Luke and I are bringing back Who's the Idiot? And we'll close with our Georgia Tech predictions. Also, one more housekeeping item. If you or someone you know is interested in a career in social media, public relations, or graphic design and looking to get some experience, we're looking for someone to help us out with our social media accounts. So if you're interested, hit us up on Instagram or Twitter at Sons of Sat Irish, or you can reach out to one of us individually. It doesn't matter to us, but we'd love to bring someone on board. Before we talk to Matt, though, Luke, I got to say... Uh, I embarrassed myself again this Saturday with yet another text to you pregame where I'm like freaking out. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, last week when we filmed, I did not feel super confident. But honestly, as the week went on, I realized everybody in the world was calling it a trap game. So how could it be one? And uh, you texted me saying you were really nervous. And I said, I think it's over by halftime. And thankfully that Isaiah Foskey blocked punt um, that he picked up for a touchdown pretty much removed all doubt. In that sense, but I think maybe this is just what we have to do. You have to be just nervous as can be, and I just have to be the kind of calm one, which is not really uh, my strong suit, but uh, maybe that's what we have to do every Saturday. Yeah, beacon of optimism, Luke Smith. <laughs> I think it was my best viewing experience, too. I watched it with uh, well, on Saturdays when I'm watching these games. I'm in this conference room with like four of, the, four of these other people who work on the show. That's the ESPN College Football Show, so watch it on Saturdays at 7. But anyway, this week... Uh, Golick Jr., another friend of the program, was filling in. So then I walked into the conference room and I just like realized Golick was going to be on the show. And I just looked to the other workers. I'm like, man, this really sucks for you today. You got to deal with not one but two psychotic Notre Dame fans in here today. And normally, like I'm, I'm pretty reserved. I usually just sit in the corner. I sort of like take out one TV is like all to me. It's the Notre Dame game, and everyone else is talking. And I'm, I'm still doing work, obviously, but I'm locked into one TV, not really communicating this time. We are both extremely animated, yelling, and like you would not have guessed that Notre Dame was up twenty-eight to three at, at half based on our reactions. But yeah, pretty easy win from the start. No, it's great, and I agree. I had a really nice viewing experience. We dabbled or you know debated with the idea of going to a bar and went against it, and just four of us sat in uh, an apartment and were able to watch it and hear it clearly, which was really nice. I do have. One gripe, of course, because it wouldn't be a show without a gripe from me. Um, after the game, we went to a small gathering at another friend's house. There were some kids there from Miami, Ohio, and the four of us naturally walked in wearing Notre Dame apparel of some sort. I think I had 
the senior open quarter zip on. My friends all had sweatshirts on. And Fancy. some Miami, Ohio girl goes, oh, you Notre Dame people are all the same. You're just obsessed with wearing your Notre Dame stuff. And to which, like, I had no other response but, like, sorry, I didn't go to a school where I went to one game my entire career. Like, what do you think I'm going to be wearing? Notre Dame play today. You think I'm going to be wearing, like, just a normal jacket? Like, come on. I'm, I'm not here to impress somebody. Definitely not you. <laughs> but you broke out the senior open quarter zip. You were clearly dressing to impress that day. I That's thought a- I thought I looked, you know, like, good but not, sharp. you know, overzealous Notre Dame fan. <laughs> but uh, apparently for... Whatever her name was from Miami, Ohio, that was a bit much. I guess she just doesn't understand college football fandom. I guess not, but to be fair, it's hard for literally anyone else outside to really understand being an Notre Dame fan. All right, let's get to the pick game, and uh, let's bring on Matt Fortuna. All right, it's a big day for the Suns Saturday. We complete the crossover with the Shamrock Podcast as we're joined now by National College Football Writer for The Athletic and the 2019 president of the Football Writers Association of America, Matt Fortuna. So, Matt, what's going on, man? How are you doing? Tyler, Luke, doing great. Thanks for having me. It will only feel like the Shamrock if I get to do uh, Roman or Weed Whacker ads at the end of this for, for uh, erectile dysfunction or, uh, or nose hair yanking. But uh, I- I'll leave that to you guys since this is your show. We're still working on a sponsorship. Um, we tweet at Miller Lite like once a week. Hasn't paid off yet, but we'll get there. We're playing the long game. So, actually... I'm going to start with the first question that every Notre Dame fan is wondering. Who would win in a fight between you and Pete Sampson? <laughs> the reason I'm asking is because of your tweet when you said you may need to give each other black eyes. So Yeah, well, Aaron Taylor and Mike Woodwinchy, for that matter, made us both sound a lot tougher than I think we actually are. I, I don't know. I'm younger, so I'd like to think I have uh, the, the, the athleticism advantage. Uh and I say that uh, in air quotes because uh, either of us are all that athletic. He's older, though. He's wiser. He's been around the block a little bit more. And I don't know. He, he's the one who got Mike McGlinchey to come on the pod. So if he wanted to tag team him, and I'd be in trouble. Maybe if I could get Quinn and Nelson on my side, we can, uh, we can really square off. We can give the people what they want. But hopefully the pandemic ends soon and we're allowed within six feet of each other. And maybe we can get an answer to this question. I don't know. <laughs> so I'm hearing you. I, I would never bet, bet against myself. That's right, fair. I like it. I like that. So now that it's been a couple days and, and you've had time to process Saturday's result, what are some of your biggest takeaways from Notre Dame's win against Pittsburgh? I think we saw a different football team. We saw a much better football team. We saw a team that I think a lot of us were not necessarily expecting, but but thought maybe in the best case scenario could play this well against an opponent that you know hasn't exactly lit the world on fire the last Last four weeks, Pitts lost their last four games, but they did have the number one rushing defense in the country. They led the nation in sacks. Uh, they, they, at one point in this calendar year, looked like a very formidable opponent. And I think everyone in the world, even going into the game, had this circled as a trap game because uh, these two programs, as we all know, have played way too many close calls for comfort if you're a Notre Dame fan. And Pitt has a habit of playing up to its competition and, and taking down some some pretty big programs uh, in recent history. So um, it was a very impressive performance. I mean, I, I thought uh, coming into that game, they were due for a breakout. I mean, I think Ryan Kelly, at least publicly, had challenged them pr- pretty thoroughly to be um, – to put their foot on the gas pedal a little bit stronger, to, to have a more of a sense of urgency, uh, in, in, as we heard after the fact – uh, to play like a championship football team, to say that winning games just isn't good enough anymore. And uh, I, I think part of that going into it, I think they get bored. I mean, 
they're so much better than everyone they've played recently and everyone they probably will play this year outside of Clemson and maybe North Carolina that I think it's human nature to kind of just roll the ball out, run behind that big offensive line, say, thank you, have a nice day, go back to our dorms and put another W uh, under our belts. And I think getting on the road for the first time, it's weird that you're traveling for the first time this late in the season, but uh, doing that and doing that in a pandemic where like, you've got to be down to the T as far as your details, as far as you're eating differently, you're traveling differently, you're probably sleeping differently. Everything's different. Um, you know, they had breakfast at, um, at Heinz field, you know, not even at the team hotel. Um, I, I, I just think mentally that forces a group of, of 70 plus guys who are traveling to, to lock in in a way that you probably don't have to do when you're, uh, when you're playing for the comforts of home uh, against teams that, that you're much better than. So I, I expected them to have one of their best performances of the season this past weekend, but even I would be lying to you if I say I saw 45 to three. I think that was just a, a thorough domination uh, and one that reset the conversation and the bar for what this team could possibly become. Whose individual performance impressed you the most on Saturday? Probably Bennett Skoranek. I know that's kind of a cop-out answer because he got the game ball. He had the two big touchdowns um, and, and really broke the dam, so to speak, as far as uh, establishing a downfield passing game that we had not seen from this program so far through its previous four games. So uh, I think they're probably relying on him more than they ever would have hoped when they went on the grad transfer market and got him. But um, you know, I'm in Chicago. I mean, I know that Northwestern staff pretty well. And uh, I mean, they, they were telling me, I mean, he was the fastest guy in that roster. If he's healthy and he wasn't last year, obviously, which is why he got the red shirt and it got an extra year. Uh, if he's healthy, uh, he could be a, a big time player in a game record for that offense. And I think it, if you saw him in his last real full season, uh, I keep coming back to uh, the 2018 game in November at Iowa when they beat the Hawkeyes on the road to clinch the big time West division title. It was, I think a 14, 10 game and Skronik had one of the best catches in all of college football that season in the end zone to, to haul in the game winning touchdown pass. So uh, I think we all knew what he's capable of. I don't think anyone thought they'd have to rely on him as much as they have so far. Um, but that says more about the, the lack of depth at receiver than anything Ben, ben Skronik's done. You mentioned the lack of depth at receiver, and obviously something that kind of goes hand-in-hand with that is the performance of Ian Book. And when you look at it, he's really been dealing with scrutiny from Notre Dame fans and people outside the program pretty consistently, I'd say, since that Michigan game last year. And and based on Skoranek's post-game comments where he indicated that Book was really upset after the Louisville game, it clearly has an effect on him. So I'm wondering, from your perspective, what can a performance like Book had on Saturday, even if it's against kind of a struggling pit team, do for him and his confidence moving forward? I think he could do a lot. I, I would preface that, though, by saying, I mean, as a third-year starter and a two-time captain and a guy who maybe not has, has not always played his best ball, but but I don't think he's ever really gotten rattled. Like I, That's one thing that I think uh, everyone – probably around that program takes for granted and will definitely miss next year, no matter how good or bad Ian Book plays is uh, just that calming presence at quarterback and a guy who that offensive line is going to run through a brick wall for, and who's going to make all the right calls and right reads, maybe not always make the the best throws uh, or best decisions, but a guy you can count on. I mean, I don't know if you could say that about any quarterback in Brian Kelly's history at Notre Dame. I mean, Tommy Reese, 
was was kind of an extension of the coach on the field, and obviously that's proven beneficial in his day job now as an actual coach for Notre Dame. But um, he didn't have the physical tools that, that Ian Book has. He couldn't make plays with his feet when, when things broke down, and he didn't have as much talent around him either, uh, which contributed to some of the turnover issues. So uh, as far as building his confidence, I, th- I think it does more for everyone around him more than it does for him. Um, just knowing they can do it, knowing that this offense has another gear that it could kick into that it hadn't shown in the first four games of the season. Uh, it quiets down the conversation because it's always going to be allowed around Notre Dame football. And frankly, I think anytime you play as much football on that stage at that position as Ian Book has, um, I think unless you're Trevor Lawrence and a guy who's, who's going to win the Heisman uh, or be the number one pick, I, I, I think is a natural tendency for, for fans, media, for everyone to, to start looking at that body of work and looking at what he can't do instead of what he can do. And I, I don't know if that's fair or right to say, but I think that's reality. Um, Andy Better, uh, my colleague at The Athletic, who, who hosts The Atlantic and Coastal Pod, our ECC show, he had me on last week and uh, this was before the pick game, but he said, you know what, this Notre Dame team and Ian Book remind me a lot of last year's Georgia team and Jake Fromm. And I think that's a perfect analogy. I mean, uh, from came in day one or day two, I should week two, I should say, as a true freshman. Uh, went to Notre Dame actually. Now that I think of it, that was not intentional for me to bring it up like way, but um, uh, was a true freshman who brought uh, brought Georgia to the national title game. Played well his sophomore year, and then I, I wouldn't say regressed his junior year, but but you know that offense got really bland. He basically had one threat on offense the passing game, Lawrence Cager, who was a Miami transfer, and the playmakers around him just kind of kind of slowly died out and everyone just got really tired of him. And when you see Justin Fields, his former backup, uh, make it run at Ohio State, you see what some other elite quarterbacks at elite programs around the country are doing. Uh, it becomes very easy to, to take your eye off what you have and to wonder about what else is out there. And um, I, I can't help but, but see the parallels um, between that Georgia team and this Notre Dame team, particularly as it relates to the conversation around the, the veteran quarterback and around the, the lack of weapons around him um, in the passing game. For Ian, it's funny, like last week we were talking to Malik Zaire and he said the most impressive thing about Ian is the fact that, you know, this is his third year and is a start and sort of the consistency that he's had throughout. That's uh, that's pretty tough sometimes with Brian Kelly in the way that he, like, pulls quarterbacks. It's not for everybody. I mean, uh, Tommy Reese took a lot of criticism uh, during his career. A lot, most of it, I would say, unfair, but, but you know, the stuff that was on the field, I think, you know, is fair game as far as if, if fans want you know, better play at that position. Uh, but the reality, the, the, the fact of the matter was they didn't have better options then. And, and look, maybe that's recruiting faults. Maybe that's Kelly being too much of a hard ass as a coach. I mean, Tommy was the only guy who could really speak the same language as him when, when he was in school and give it back to him on the sideline. Uh, but I, I, I always come back to that 2013 game under the lights against USC. Um, it was I wouldn't say a loss year for Notre Dame, but it was kind of a blah year. They went nine and four. Uh, Ever Golson had gotten uh, kicked out of school that summer, co- coming off a, a national championship game appearance. I think expectations were, were definitely lowered from the outside looking in. And Notre Dame goes into halftime up 14-10 on Ed Odron, coach USC team, uh, now, now that I think about it. And right. Tommy suffers a concussion, I think, a neck injury. Yeah, it was an upper right. body injury where – uh, he couldn't play in the second half. And Andrew Hendricks, who, uh, friend of the pod, friend of us, love Andrew Hendricks. He's going to be a cardiologist and save all of our lives someday. So I got to be careful to not be too mean to him here. But um, he had great physical tools, right? He was Tebow 2.0 when he spared Tommy in the Stanford game in, in 2011. 
And I think that offense had 30 total yards from scrimmage in the second half and didn't score a point. Luckily for them, the defense shut out USC and Notre Dame was able to hang on. But I, I just always go back to that game and I'm like, this is what you wanted. Um, this is what you got. Like, again, if you want to direct criticism to the coaching staff for, for their shortcomings, go for it. But no one knew how to run that offense the way Tommy Reese did. I mean, the guy was one of the stiffest quarterbacks I've ever covered in my life. And yet they only gave up seven sacks that year with him under center. And it wasn't because of his legs. It was because he roomed with Chris Watt, Zach Martin, um, knew those guys inside and out. They knew him inside and out. He knew how to check into the right plays, the right protections, all those little things that I think go overlooked uh, when you get caught up in the star rankings, the 40 yard dash, the arm strength, all, all, all that good stuff. Um, there's just been uh, a theme here in the 11 year Brian Kelly era, which is if you're a three star or worse coming out of high school, like you almost have a better chance of, of playing and playing a lot and playing well. Uh, because the track record there with four or five star guys outside of Sean Kaiser, who kind of fell into that job, uh, isn't very good. Yeah, it's pretty peculiar. But getting back to this year's team, Georgia Tech uh, is next up on the schedule for Notre Dame. Notre Dame's nearly three touchdown favorites, and everyone's attention seems to be fixated on next Saturday's game against Clemson, who beat the same Tech team by 66 points. It's we are just even saying that out loud. That's so ridiculous. But is there anything that Notre Dame could do this weekend that might make you think they're in better shape to beat Clemson next week? More the same. I mean, keep keep establishing the pass game. I mean, they had one of their worst rushing games statistically against Pittsburgh, and yet I thought it was one of their most impressive ones because they were able to kind of grind them down a little bit, not just completely rely on it to bail them out the way they had uh, throughout the first four games of the season uh, and take some chances downfield. I think if we see them open up the offense a little bit more, it doesn't sound like Brayden Lindsay is going to be full go if he plays at all. Uh, can you get Joe Wilkins a little bit more involved? Can you maybe get Lawrence Keyes involved if he's able to go at full strength? work the tight ends in there a little bit more. Uh, you don't want to put all your cards on the table a week before your biggest game of the year. I understand that. But as far as building confidence in their ability and in the fan base is belief in their ability to, to hang with and maybe be Clemson. I think you need to build off what you did at Pittsburgh. I, I think if you win this game 10, seven or something, which I don't think is going to happen, but if it were to be a repeat of Louisville, uh, that would be a massive cause for concern uh, probably internally as well as uh, externally if you're Notre Dame. Yeah. And speaking of Clemson, I mean, of course, that's just the only thing that everybody's been talking about all offseason this season. You and your colleague Pete Sampson have referred to it often as kind of a one-game referendum on the season. And I think from a fan perspective and a media perspective, it makes sense for us to look at that and, and acknowledge that. But what I found interesting is when you look at Notre Dame as a program, at least as far as Notre Dame goes, it seems to me that they've made it pretty public that everything's leading up to that game on November 7th. Uh, I go back to the rally hype video that they released this summer where they panned the Clemson flag in the stadium. And then you look at Brian Kelly's post-game comments this past weekend that you mentioned earlier about looking ahead to, to be a championship team. And I guess, does it surprise you at all to see that kind of stance that the program itself has taken on this season you know, as a one-game referendum? Because that's kind of the, the sense that I'm getting. It surprised me a lot um, just because it goes against the nature of everything I've kind of uh, covered <laughs> in my yeah. decade career. Or so uh, of college football coaches was, which is next play, next game, next man up. Don't know who we're playing next week. Don't ask us. Um, 
I'm pleasantly surprised as a member of the media to, to hear Brian Kelly be as candid as he is. And I don't think he gets that way unless he believes in the maturity of his team um, and the strengths of his team and the ceiling of his team. We've heard him multiple times, whether it was in the locker room after South Florida or, or at press conferences, I believe today, where he says, you know, we want to play like a championship football team. We can win a national championship. You rarely hear those words spoken out loud by any coach, let alone one at Notre Dame, even if they think they're capable of it, which I think internally they think they've had a chance, you know, whether it was 2015, maybe 2018, um, uh, and obviously this year. Um, I think that speaks very well. Um, you have a, 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 maybe the best offensive line in of the country that has four seniors up front. You have a third-year starting quarterback who's a two-time captain and the only captain Brian Kelly's had at that position in his 11 years at Notre Dame. You have a very good, I wouldn't say great yet, but a very good defense that uh, statistically I should say is great because they've been dominating opponents so far outside of Florida State, which I think uh, was a little COVID-related flukiness as far as how broken that game was for a half or so. Um, I think they have the tools and more importantly, the belief and the maturity inside those walls to think that uh, – they can go in there and win that game. Is it going to happen? I don't know. But, but to hear them speak about it and to hear them speak about not overlooking opponents, but, but playing to a standard beyond the scoreboard every Saturday, I think is a big step because, uh, and I say this complimentary, but the one thing about Brian Kelly and his teams over recent years, Notre Dame, 2016 notwithstanding, is like, they just always find a way to win games. And it's not always pretty, and they sometimes have to apologize for it. I, again, I think you can get bored. I think things can get stale. I think you need to spice things up and up the ante for those guys internally to know that, hey, like this isn't just about going 10-1 and one, um, and saying, hey, you're all smart kids, good season, go get good jobs, maybe go to the NFL, we tried our best. No, like their mission statement is graduating champions, and this is the year to, to possibly actually do that and live up to that uh, because they have a mature enough and deep enough football team to give themselves a chance to do that. So uh, I, I'm uh, pleasantly surprised to hear them acknowledge it. It's very refreshing. And I don't know if you heard Kelly's comments today uh, as well. We're talking to Alec Monday. Uh, but I thought Angela DiCarlo, local TV, uh, TV reporter there, asked him a good question about, have you used the name Clemson with them yet? Uh, the way you, you dance around it with us as far as saying we have bigger goals. And uh, Kelly gave a, a long answer about, our acronym is WIN, which is what's important now, but also what's important next. And, uh, you know, he, one of the lines he had in there was, uh, it's implicit in that conversation without having to say, hey, guys, in a couple of weeks we're playing Clemson. Wink, wink, wink. So we didn't need to do that. Uh, which, again, I only think you do that if you're an 11th-year head coach with a veteran team that knows what it's about and knows what it's capable of. I don't think you hear too many coaches around the country. I don't think you hear Brian Kelly uh, in most of his years at Notre Dame speak that way publicly. I think it takes – the risk is almost too great because if somehow they were to lose a Georgia Tech this week, I mean, you know, people are going to come after Brian Kelly really, really hard for, for overlooking an opponent, which is like the cardinal sin in college football not to do. Uh, but I think Notre Dame is, is in a healthy standpoint from a program standpoint right now. Yeah, you mentioned the depth and maturity, and the depth, is, especially at receiver, is going to be tested now because it seems like fans and people within the program were sort of banking on Kevin Austin um, and Braden Lindsey being at full health in order to unlock Notre Dame's struggling passing game. With that now out of the question, following Austin's season-ending surgery and Lindsey's nagging hamstring issues, what would you like to see Tommy Reese do as a play caller to sort of maximize the offense's output in that game? 
Yeah, it's it's um, it was interesting when I, I posted the the Austin news on Twitter and I, I had a lines there saying how brutal this was for Notre Dame. I got uh, a lot of feedback saying like, "How's it brutal? We don't even know what this kid can do. He's always either hurt or in trouble. Like we we just can't count on him." And I don't disagree with that sentiment. I understand. Like it was kind of like Jafar Armstrong last year, right? It's like, oh, when he's healthy, we'll be fine running. And like he's never healthy, and they weren't fine running. Um, so I, 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 it's, there's some faulty logic in there, and I understand that and respect that. Lindsay, also, I can't, I can't get mad at the staff for having him out there late in that game when you need those receivers to get as much work as humanly possible because you still don't know what they're capable of as a group. And you need Brendan Clark, who really hasn't played it all this year to get some in-game reps with the ones um, as a backup quarterback in case disaster strikes. And he, he needs to be called upon. As far as what I'd like to see them do different, um, do, do you work more tight ends into the mix? I mean, you're, you're kind of tight end you at this point. You have a lot of talent at that, <clears throat> excuse me, at that position, embarrassment of riches, I, I would go as far to say, relative to most of the teams in the country. Do you get them in the mix more? Again, I think you have to strike a healthy balance between – get in those guys the necessary game reps this week against Georgia Tech so that they're comfortable versus showing too much on film for a Clemson team that, whether they're saying it publicly or not, probably has the exact same mindset that Notre Dame does. Hey, we have a, essentially a one-game season. I mean, you look around the ACC, no one's going to be Clemson outside of maybe Notre Dame this year. Um, I, I, I think it's a, a tricky balance as far as how much you want to show. Do you get the running backs more involved in the past game? Do you play two running backs uh, because you have two running backs for the first time in a while that look like they're capable of doing things with the ball in their hands, whether that's taking a handoff, whether that's catching it out in the flat and making a guy miss. I, I don't know. I mean, I, it's been a fascinating kind of 180 on the conversation about this offense from last year, this year, as far as they had no running backs and they had really good, well, two really good pass catchers last year. Whereas this year, They've got some really good running backs that I don't think even those in the program who are optimistic were sure they had until they got to camp this year versus, wow, like there's really like not a whole lot to work with here as far as proven pass catchers. And we're going to be going into week seven against Clemson, still not knowing what we have uh, outside of Ben Skronik at the, at the wide receiver position. It's interesting. And and you mentioned not knowing not what you have. And I think something that kind of touches on that, your colleague at The Athletic, Andy Staples, mentioned last week on his podcast that there's just no consistency, no week to week this year for teams this season. And that's why it's really difficult to judge teams. And I think we've seen some of that with Notre Dame's inconsistent performances from week to week, as well as across college football. But I'm just wondering, do you agree with that take that there just really is no week to week consistency this year throughout college football? Generally speaking, yes, but I also think in some ways it's even playing field, right? It's not like Notre Dame's dealing with – well, I guess they did deal with COVID more than others, but it's not like the pandemic is specific to South Bend, Indiana, more than it is to Clemson, South Carolina, or Atlanta, Georgia, or what have you. Um, I I think it's a difficult balancing act for everyone, Um, maybe a little bit more difficult for Notre Dame because they are taking in-person classes. They haven't shut down their campus. but conversely, maybe it's easier because they have a smaller campus and they're not a metropolitan area and they don't have as many temptations. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's not surprising to me that the two programs that seem to have managed this better than anyone, uh, and by that I mean they haven't had positive tests from players since the summer, Boston College and Duke, uh, two small private schools uh, with disciplined kids who, who, who want to do this right. And I'm not saying place, people at other places don't want to do this right, um, but, but I just think it's easier at some places than others. Um, as far as how that affects Notre Dame, I mean, the Florida State game, yeah. I mean, you have a two-week pause in season. You were not able to practice a lot of your guys until the week leading up to that game, and that's only coming out 
two games we played so far, one of whom was a very overmatched group of five opponent. I think absolutely in the Florida State game, you could look at that game and think everything about that game was kind of fluky, right? Um, that defense is much better than it played. Um, you know, the, the fumbling, you know, some of the mistakes, like that stuff is what happens when you haven't played a, a lot of football together and you haven't practiced a lot of football together. So I, I think in that specific game, that, that's one time the season for Notre Dame, say, where I could point to and say, yeah, COVID kind of reared its ugly head as far as the, dis- the disjointedness uh, of everything that happened. But everything else uh, so far this season, I think has been, um, you know, what you see is what you get. I mean, obviously they want to play better than they did in the Louisville game. And, uh, you know, they don't want to turn the ball over like they did against Duke. But um, I, I think you're seeing the natural growth and evolution of a football team week to week, uh, Florida State game notwithstanding. Yeah, that'll make sense. And I want to look ahead just a little bit into the future. Uh, given your involvement with both the ACC and Notre Dame, what do you believe it would take in order for Notre Dame to join the ACC in football permanently? My involvement with the ACC. Am I am I running for commissioner? And I don't I don't know what yet. It's open job. Yeah, you and Swarbrick. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, there we go. I'm I'm younger though, and I think they want a guy to have this job for the next 25 years, the way Swafford did. So I like my chances. Um, what would it take? The one end all be all I think would be the college football playoff selection committee coming together and basically putting out a rule saying if you're not in a conference, you're not eligible for the college football playoff. I don't think that will happen anytime soon, if ever. Uh, but I think that is a, a kind of gun to your head. We got to do this move if you're Notre Dame. Uh, the other scenario is, and this you know, kind of falls in line with what we were just talking about with, with the new commissioner. What does this league look like five, 10 years from now with the new commissioner and fresh blood in the AD chairs throughout the league? Because when you look at the makeup of this league, uh, look, it's a Carolina-based league, right? Look at the ADs at those Carolina schools. North Carolina AD, Bubba Cunningham, former Notre Dame baseball player. Duke AD, Kevin White, former Notre Dame AD. Uh, North Carolina State AD, Boo Corrigan, uh, Notre Dame graduate, son of a former ACC commissioner who worked in Notre Dame and his brother is the Notre Dame lacrosse coach. I think you have uh, so many people in positions of power in the ACC right now who have Notre Dame ties, Notre Dame roots, and have an understanding and appreciation and respect for what independence means in Notre Dame and just how beneficial it is for both parties that this arrangement, the five-game arrangement, not the 2020 arrangement, the the, the five-game-a-year arrangement uh, and all the other sports being in the ACC, how beneficial that is for everybody. Because I don't know if there is ACC network if you don't have five Notre Dame football games and a bunch of Notre Dame basketball and other games a year. Um, I don't think uh, a lot of these games are getting game day and sellouts and primetime audiences uh, if they're not hosting Notre Dame, if they're hosting another team with an equal record from another part of the country uh, every single year. So I think uh, there's a very clear understanding from all the parties involved right now uh, what's at stake here for, for both the institution and the conference and how sacred that is to both and how they don't want to mess that up. Now, everyone I just mentioned is closer to the end of their careers, with the exception of maybe Boo Corrigan, uh, than they are to the beginning. And so you wonder, what does the next wave or round of ACC power brokers look like? There's going to be a new commissioner soon. There will be new ADs in some of the places I mentioned sooner rather than later. Are are the young guys who really don't care uh, um, and are going to get together at ACC spring meetings in Amelia Island in May and say, take it or leave it? You know, know, we're at the point where where you got to join. Um, 
I think it's possible. I don't think it's probable. Uh, but, but again, I, I think Notre Dame's only going if their hand is forced, and I don't think that's imminent. So before we get to our rapid fire questions, we do have one more question that was submitted from a listener, Jeff Melsheimer in Dallas, Texas. Um, he wants to know what can be done to stop former players from tweeting that Clark Lee needs to be a head coach. Um, I think we saw that from Khalid Kareem, Jalen Elliott, as well as John Jones and a couple others. You know, I think fans love and appreciate Lee, and uh, they don't want to see his former players publicly campaigning for him to be employed somewhere else during the middle of an undefeated season. So, and I believe John Jones said, and this is coming from a guy he benched, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Clark Lee is the man. I mean, he's awesome. And, you know, he, he's – Notre Dame kind of lucked into him because it wasn't like they hired him with the intent of him becoming their defense coordinator. They thought Mike Helco would be there longer than he was. And uh, they made a quick move to hire Lee. And, look, at the time he was, I think, a 36-year-old who never called a play in a game in his life. And his first year they go undefeated and make the college football playoff. And uh, he follows it up with – perhaps an even better year in 2019. He is a guy who is going to make an athletic director somewhere look very smart, very soon. He was the runner up for the Boston college job last year, uh, uh, which is very telling uh, because again, he's shy of 40. He'd only been a coordinator for two years and to have that kind of uh, impression on a power five job. I mean, you see guys get jobs all the time at the lower levels, but, but to make it that far as a power five guy, um, uh, that early in his career, I think, is very, very telling. And I think we'll serve him well down the line whenever that next interview does come because I think he really likes it in Notre Dame. He likes the type of kids who can coach there. He is the right to be picky. Um, I don't think you just go chasing any job to become a head coach. He's not in a rush to do that because the wrong job can really set your career back a decade or so. Um, and and he's, he's in a position now where he does not need to do that. Um, so – We'll see what happens. Vanderbilt's the obvious one, right? I mean, they're a place that might be in the market for a new coach and where he's from. And uh, look, may- maybe being from there and knowing how um, lackadaisical they've been uh, from, from an institutional standpoint in supporting football, maybe that scares him off. Maybe he knows enough where he says, I, I don't want anything to do that. You can't win there. Um, I don't think that's likely, but I think that's possible. Uh, I think they better take a look at him if they have an opening this year. They would be irresponsible and reckless not to, but uh, he's he's a guy who uh, wins you over very very quickly. I mean, he's just he's just so different. I mean, if you, you talk to him, you see him, you would guess like ten jobs this guy has before you think defense coordinator for a college football team. Like he's just a really impressive guy that way. And so uh, the better this defense plays, the more they will uh, his name will come up uh, for job candidacies, and the more you'll hear current and former player something for him to to get a job like that and the troubling thing if you're Notre Dame I mean it's always you know rewarding in some sense to see guys uh to see a coaching tree be established so to speak uh, under Brian Kelly but the troubling thing is he's so beloved on that staff that I'd be afraid if he gets a good job he's going to take a handful of guys with him uh because I think a lot of people in that building will run through a brick wall for him yeah well let's certainly hope that that's uh selfishly later rather than sooner um (laughs) But now, I guess, for a couple rapid-fire questions before we let you go. So college football fans, and especially Notre Dame fans, can be straight-up bizarre on social media. Um, So I'm curious, what's the strangest or weirdest thing you've ever seen in your Twitter mentions? You know, the strangest thing I saw was not on Twitter. It was an email. Um, And I'm going to share it. I'm going to break the rules and share this as the craziest because it's 
the craziest by far. <laughs> uh, and it's going to go a few different avenues. I don't think any of us were prepared to go, but I'll say it anyway. It was my second game covering Notre Dame for ESPN.com, uh, which is 2011, the first night game at Michigan. And we all remember what happened there. It's a 24-7 game that somehow, someway, Denard Robinson worked a miracle. Tommy Reese had the ball fall out of his hand. Gary Gray forgot how to defend. <laughs> the rest is history. Oh, and, and Denard Robinson fumbles at the goal line and it bounces into his hands yep. and he runs in. Like, literally, like, yeah. there's no explaining away that game, especially yeah. after the South. Thank you for bringing back these painful <laughs> memories. Now, Don't worry, it, it gets better. Uh, and by better, I mean worse. Um, this email is not directed to me. It was directed to another beat writer who then forwarded it to the rest of the beat uh, with the addendum saying, I can't believe we missed uh, this angle while covering the game Saturday night. And I don't have the email in front of me. I, I, I wish I saved it. I didn't, but I, I can tell you the gist of it. Uh, the subject line was why we always lose the big ones. The email address was Dr. Frank at abortiontruths.org or .net or something. And it was a long, very well punctuated, uh, written, you know, um, uh, AP style uh, email of how else do you explain us losing like this uh, ever since uh, we decided to go secular and had that baby killer Obama speak at graduation. The Holy Mother has been punishing us. Look at Gary Gray's movement on that ball. He was a great quarterback and all of a sudden forgot how to defend how else do you explain it? It's not football. It's the Holy Mother who will not be mocked. And it like it, the email signed off with like in all caps, multiple paragraphs, like she shall not be mocked. I repeat, she shall not be mocked. Sincerely, Dr. Frank. Um, wow. <laughs> I can't say I thought of that while watching that meltdown um, <laughs> live in the big house. Uh, but but that was especially uh, being a younger guy and being on that beat for for just two games and seeing two inexplicable losses uh to see that uh in my inbox was like holy crap what did i get myself into here like this really is a different breed here like wow yeah wow welcome to notre dame okay well <laughs> we'll follow that up with the best college football game you've ever covered it doesn't have to be notre dame either best college game i've covered oh you know uh just easy one george alabama national championship game 2017 uh overtime to attack viola I was standing, uh, they let us down on the field with the last five minutes or so. And so I was underneath the, and I got some great, you know, amateur uh, iPhone video of, it, of both. I was underneath the goalpost when Alabama missed the field goal uh, at the end of regulation that would have won it. And I was underneath the other goalpost when Rodrigo Blankenship hit the 50 something yarder to go up. And then was right where Devontae Smith caught it and ran past me um, to, to, have a walk-off national championship win. And that was crazy. I mean, just being like, you know, inches away from him. And like, you came, there's so many people down there. There's so much commotion. You're listening for things more than you're looking for them. And I just hear someone behind me screaming like, oh no, he's open. So I like just, you know, stick my camera on him. And next thing you know, it's like, boom, like a, you know, a photog got run over right next to me. <laughs> there's a dog pile right in front of me. Um, that was just like, you, it, it, you just don't get that in football. Like that's a baseball thing, right? A walk off to, to win it all. Um, and, and with the way they looked left for dead in that game and with the incredibly bold mood of bold move of Nick Saban to put in a freshman who hadn't played before in the second half and, and to see that payoff was, uh, that was incredible. No, hard to argue with that one. Um, I guess another question I have for you, and, and I don't know, you know, during your time on the Irish beat, 
what your schedule is normally like. I'm sure there were many times after dealing with fans on social media or just seeing an unexplicable game that you felt like you needed a couple drinks. Do you have a favorite bar in South Bend? Favorite bar in South Bend? Um, you know, I, O'Rourke's, I think it's, I, maybe that's a cop-out, but it's close. The guys there are super nice. Um, it's easy. Uh, the staff there is just I'm a child of a family that's in the hospitality business. So that goes along with me even more than the, the taste of the meal or the drink sometimes. So um, I, I will always give those guys a shout out when I can. Awesome. Big fans of O'Rourke's here too. So last one, in your time covering the Irish, what's the most notable or memorable moment you've experienced during a Brian Kelly press conference? Um, it would have to be Oklahoma 2013. They lose that game. And I, I don't know. I'd have to pull up the exact transcript. I know where you're going with this. I think, yeah, I think I remember this. <laughs> You've seen us all. We always make fun of it amongst ourselves. And I, I always wonder, like, do people who aren't in that room that day wonder what the hell we're talking about? Because Twitter really is just one big inside joke for sports writers half the time anyway. Uh, it's the biggest echo chamber in the world. But um, there was a, a reporter from a foreign news outlet who in the minutes after um, – Notre Dame loses to Oklahoma to fall to three and two. Uh, Notre Dame was going to play Arizona State at AT&T Stadium in the Shamrock Series game the next week. And I, I, I couldn't even rephrase the question if I wanted to. It was something about AT&T Stadium just held a match last week with Texas, Texas A&M, Kingsville, and Monterey Tech were the two schools that were involved. Again, I don't know where he was going with it. I don't know where I'm going with it. I, I'm – repeating it, but it was one of those things where we're all looking around each other, like what the hell's going on here? And we're all kind of bracing for like, all right, you got a really angry coach who's coming off a loss as being asked about something that we don't understand. <laughs> like this, get your phones ready. Like this could go viral in a second. Like Brian Kelly might murder a guy and Brian Kelly, who I will go to my grave, say it is a thousand times smarter uh, and more charming and more likable than anyone will ever give him credit for. Not that he's not without faults, but he just stares a hole through the reporter and answers the question with just, sure. And the guy then goes, thank you. And he goes, you're, you're welcome. Well, welcome to the Brian Kelly defense squad. You just uh, you just admitted yourself. Thought it was just me and Luke, but now uh, after that, you're on board. So be sure to follow him at Matt underscore Fortuna on Twitter and Instagram and check out his work for Athletic all year long. Plus, you can listen to him every week on the Shamrock and check out his appearances on the Atlantic and Coastal podcast as well for all things ACC. So, Matt, it's been a pleasure. and We really appreciate it. Let's do it again sometime. Thanks for having me, guys. Really had a good time talking with you, and uh, we'll delete all this uh, if they lose to Clemson because I didn't say any nice <laughs> things about it. Okay, cool. And that was our interview with Matt Fortuna. We covered a lot of ground there, and that was uh, that was really fun, entertaining. But I gotta say that email, Luke, you gotta have some respect for that guy, especially you as someone who's uh, been known to write extensive um, comments and descriptions to beat writers following a just disgusting Notre Dame loss. Yeah, that was. Terrific. Um, some some really great troll work by whoever that was. I, at least I hope so. Um, trolls recognize trolls. I don't think that was a troll. Uh, maybe it wasn't. You know, I've often thought that I was about 10 years too late. Um, I think I would have been really good at foul outrage emails. Um <laughs> in 2011 was probably kind of the peak of that. Now you're limited character wise through Twitter, but uh shout out to that guy. Um, I hope we cross paths someday and, and I could really see this whole email, but that sounded fantastic. 
Yeah, I got to say, I did not, of all the reasons why Notre Dame lost that game to Michigan, I mocking the Virgin Mary was not uh, high on my list. I would have attributed Gary Gray was Gary very Gray, high on my Gary list. Gary Gray was number one, two, and three. But as we close the book here on the pick game, we've got to acknowledge it. Who's the idiot this week? Is it just me or is it both of us? Publicly, it's me. Privately, conveniently, I guess, if you ask, I had kind of changed my tune as the week progressed last week. But yeah, um, maybe we should have seen that coming with everybody else in the world calling this a trap game. We should have known that Notre Dame was kind of due to bounce back and that Louisville game was more of a wake-up call than anything. But hey, I'll take being an idiot if it means we can pound a Power 5 team on the road 45-3. to uh, Biggest margin of victory against Pittsburgh since the Holtz days, so that was awesome. Yeah, and did you see Pat Narduzzi's comment today? I did not. What did, what did that loser say? <laughs> <laughs> He's just a foul human being. What did... Pete Sampson called him. He called him an aggrieved actor. That is just such a good description. The guy is just an absolute clown. I don't know what Narduzzi did to Pete, but Pete has been dancing on his grave for the past couple days. But here's the quote I got for you. They're as good a football team I've seen walk on this field in the last six years. Yeah, I'm not really buying that, just in the sense I don't think he's being sincere. There's just no way you can convince me that Pat Narduzzi, a known Notre Dame hater, would be so complimentary about a Notre Dame football team that ran up the score on him. No, but maybe he just realizes that the next time we play, um, he doesn't want a halfback pass thrown when he's down 40. (laughs) But that was retribution for that comment two years ago when he said UCF was better than Notre Dame. I don't think Tommy Reese or Brian Kelly forgot that, and nor should they have. Um, That's Pat Narduzzi's medicine, and he – his days might be numbered there. Um, Maybe economically he's a little bit – got a life preserver, but – he shouldn't be the coach of that team much longer. Yeah, his contract goes through 2024, so not great for the Pitt Panthers. But now that we've established um, that our recent game predictions have been terrible, let's uh, let's get into Georgia Tech. You got a prediction for us? Uh, last I saw, Notre Dame was 19.5-point favorites. Are we covering this weekend? Yeah, I'm actually going to the game. I'm excited about that. Oh, that's right. First, uh, first trip to a season. This year, which is weird because it'll be Halloween. Uh, I never thought it'd be that late in the year, but should be a lot of fun. And, um, you know, I may as well just put the trip on the game on that 19 and a half because I think we're going to cover. Um, I, it's 20 now. I'm seeing Okay, it. still. Um, I, I, I'm i going to say we win this ball game 38 to nothing. I think we can shut them out. And I would like to see a shutout going into Clemson to really inspire even more confidence in this defense. I know that this team – they beat Louisville a couple weeks ago, right? Um, and they kind of started off the season a little bit better than most people might have expected, but they've kind of come down to earth in recent weeks. Very young team with a young head coach. Um, you know, I think they're still a couple years away, and, and I like to see this season's Irish team just go in there and, and absolutely handle business, and it's it's not a game. Um, I want a shutout, though. That's, uh, that's what I'm going for, so I'm saying 38 nothing. Yeah, I think the defense will dominate again. I'm not predicting a shutout, though. I'm going to go 38-10. I think Notre Dame's whole emphasis on this game is get up early and then get the starters out as soon as it's clear so that they go into the Clemson game about as healthy as they can be. Um, I don't expect to see Lindsey this week. It's unfortunate because it really seems like he needs the game reps, but that's sort of a key injury to watch going forward. And, you know, if you're Notre Dame, you really can't afford to have any more of that, especially on the offense or at the skill position. So... I'm saying 38 to 10. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Seems like we are uh, 
at least connected on the amount of points scored. But excited to finally be at a ball game this Saturday and excited to experience uh, what downtown Atlanta is like for Halloween. I don't think COVID is a thing in Atlanta. I don't think they've ever heard of it. They don't know what it is. <laughs> I hear you. Well, hopefully on Saturday when I get my – uh, pre-game anxiety is reaching max levels, and I'm like, holy shit, like, are we going to lose to Georgia Tech? Uh, once I feel that, I'll text you and hopefully calm me down, and then we run up the score again. All right, that's a wrap for this week. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Sons of Sat Irish. So we'll talk to you again next week, same time, same place.